kids get How smart do we get about smart, kids Ryan? getting stupid. Listen to me. That's what you do. Listen to old man Riley. <laughs> gonna bust some knowledge, some wisdom. He's gonna drop a knowledge bomb on your yeah, ass. <laughs> Teach you how it's at. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. Actual garbage. Is our children learning? Part one. Hey everybody, welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast. I don't know which episode this is, probably 11? 11. 11, that sounds good. I said 12-ish, so 11 sounds right. Yeah, yeah that is that is absolutely Again, 12-ish. right order of magnitude, it's good enough. On my left, speaking of orders of magnitude and tolerating that level of inaccuracy, <laughs> Andy Chilton, welcome back on short notice. My friend, <laughs> factors of two and pi can be made to go away no matter what. Fantastic. To his left, Javier Ramey. Aspiring teacher, and actually, in our modern physics class, our teacher did indeed tell us that if you're off by a factor of two, you're in good shape, so I can appreciate the magnitude. You're in goddamn great shape if you're off by a factor of two. Physics is weird. And to his left, Ryan. Actual educator. Yeah. Actual educator. As weird as that sounds. And the only one holding a beer, which is entirely appropriate. Yeah. I feel. Based on what I know about teachers at this point. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we've all given up. The topic, if you may have ascertained, is that education, the way that it is structured, the, w- the way that it affects our children. That's <laughs> no, all right. No one will know. The way that's no one will know what just term. happened. The way that it affects our children. Uh, what, uh, Andy got to pick this topic, even though this isn't technically his inaugural podcast. It is the first time he has been our guest, so he got to pick it. Uh, Andy, what are we talking about here? Well, I think... What I would like to cover, um, and I'm open to other ideas, it's cool, it's cool. Um, you know, what goals or purposes does education serve? What are the structures that we have in place right now? And how well do they line up with those goals? Um, and then kind of, let's let's maybe think a little bit about the ideal case. Okay. Uh, in your particular instance of this, um, I think I have this right here. You were, for some amount of time, in uh, Germania, is that correct? Germania yeah. is how it is pronounced in the country. Did that horribly damage your experience of education, both abroad and back here at home? I wouldn't say it damaged it, but it certainly influenced it. In what way? How is it different? Or better or worse? How is it different? Oh, man. So many ways. Um, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is the much more hands-off nature of education in Germany. Um, at least at the and I, I've, I can only speak to the elementary level. Okay. Uh, I was I was only in Germany up until the point where I was eleven, um, and then I moved back to the states. Uh, so I can only I can only talk about you know elementary education essentially. But they, um, you are given much, much more independence as a student in Germany than you are as a student in in America. It was, you know, it was even jarring for me coming back, being a grade ahead of where I was before, and suddenly having all of these strange rules and and standardized tests and whatnot. I was going to say, is it specifically (laughs) in the form of tests that it is more? That's certainly one thing. Um, 
you are given a lot of unstructured time in German schools, um, both to do your work, certainly, um, but also just to play. Um, <laughs> like does the, the, and does that span all subjects? Is that... Um, it depends, of course, on the teacher a little bit. Okay. Um, but, but they're yeah, actually the, the given ethos. the option. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the ethos is, is very different. Ryan. Yeah. Why is America better than Germany? <laughs> because we ultimately test the Freedom. shit out of our students. Yeah, we, sh we test the shit out of our students. And, and that's I, a good thing, right? I think, I think students need more pressure heaped upon them. I All really right. do. I think, that, I think that education should be like a job that students are soul-crushingly ground through the rest of their the, the rest of, into their adult lives. I think that's where education needs to really be studied. Because I'll I tell you, all that independence, all that freedom, I spent trying to have sex and do drugs all that time in high school. That was like all I was worried about. Like, you give me a lot of freedom and like, you know, couldn't kick me out for doing those kinds of things. I took that freedom and ran away from school with it. I mean, I, I did the bare minimum when I became, you know, an adolescent in school mm -hmm. to get by. Yeah. And... That freedom was not what I necessarily needed. I needed a way to like connect it or someone to, in a sense, give me tasks to force me to do and, and learn what was necessary because all I was doing was what I wanted to do. Yeah, so I, I think I may have given you the wrong impression. That certainly is, it's not the case that there were no uh, tasks given or mm -hmm. guidance given, you know? And, and um, you know, speaking I to ju that, I, I just have to interject. I'm... <laughs> you... <laughs> I was going to ask you to interject with some form of honest version of that answer, and you turned it on me, and I appreciate that. Okay, good. Where you, do you actually stand on that opinion? No, absolutely not, no. Okay, yeah, just yeah, make no, sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right. <laughs> but it no, was, I, I, I was getting a little close. I don't know you well enough for the sarcasm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 it was just, yeah. No, it was, it was, that was just a weird moment this early in the podcast. Yeah, no, it's a little, get, get a little strange, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I had I I do think that what we do here is good. I mean, I'm a product of the education system, and especially early on, um, you know, all pre-high school education, I felt pretty well serviced in general. I mean, I got away from it because I went to a private school, like a Christian school for 7th and 8th grade, which was a uh, unique experience educationally, intellectually speaking, in general. Um, you know, and that... They can be very good and very bad for the students. It yes. kind of depends on how lucky you really get with your school. I mean, yeah, if, as long as it doesn't focus on anything religious, I think you're doing fine. I mean, really, that was the best. <laughs> I mean, as long as, you know, they can be a depends place for people. What kind of parochial school yeah, we're that's talking a, that's about Yeah, that's just it. You know, we go to chapel three times a week where we can, like, you know, like, zone out and take a nap or something. I'm cool give with a, that. Like, yeah, it's more private schools. Next, yeah, you know. Yeah, but, like, you know, when I went to, my first day of science class in seventh grade was open up our science textbook and the first thing, first first line of the of the science textbooks is Genesis one one, explaining that the world is six thousand years old to me. And um, you know, as someone, what state? Orla oh yeah, or Orlando. This is in Orlando. Hometown. Florida. Oh yeah, hometown. Hometown, hometown in uh, Christian schooling, and uh, that was, you know, for so, for a kid who uh, wanted to be a paleontologist when he was like four or five years old, whose fifth birthday. His parents took him to Washington D.C. to the Smithsonian National History Museum to experience what he had really enjoyed and wanted to learn. And desired about. for desired, the yeah. entirety of his young life. Yes, the idea that the, the dinosaurs died 65 million years ago. Yeah, was that must like, have been a bummer to learn that <laughs> none of that's true. I know. I was I was shocked. You know, I was I was I felt lied to. You know, and then you know, as I was basically told that I was you know a horrible person as a result of it, and so. But did, that, did, that, did that actually happen? Yes. Okay. No. That first day of my first day of, of seventh grade, 
they open this thing up and it's like the world is 6,000 years old and you got this picture of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and stuff. And I'm like, well, what about like dinosaurs and evolution? And like, that was it. Like the, the rest of the entire first day, this is my, this is three hours into my brand new school. And I had, I had my new, I had my new nickname by the end of that class, which was monkey boy. Cause they're like, you believe that we came from monkeys? And I was like, they have five fingers, five toes, all the same organs, you know, like it's not that far-fetched of an idea <laughs> that we all share this kind of common idea over given a long period of time. And they're like, well, you know, it, it was, I was monkey boy for like two years And this was that. seventh, eighth grade. Seventh and eighth grade, yeah. Okay. Seventh and wow. eighth grade. And for a formative period in your adolescence when all you want to do is be interesting and to be appealing to people. Cool. Yeah, that was, that yeah, that, that fucked me up. That's in, probably in, in the wrong direction, yeah. Yeah, and it made me a little antagonistic overall, because up until that point, I had kind of been a Christian up until that point as well, and that was a real departure point when I was like, these people are full of shit. Like, they are just real assholes, and I am not of them. <laughs> and it kind of, like, you know, really ground down, uh, no, uh, you know, it kind of... I don't want to be an asshole. Yeah, no, it clarified and it crystallized a lot of ideas for me in general, but it also really made me enjoy the level of education that I got in my uh, grade school, in my K through 5, and it also, I think allowed me to enjoy high school to a certain extent. And of course, when I became an adult and finally got into college, when I took that seriously, you know, all of that really reflected in comparison. I mean, it wasn't a terrible experience in, in, in a broad sense, mm -hmm. but it was interesting to where, you know, a you, formative had, experience, yeah, you had two different really idea, ideas of what education was supposed to be and how it was and, mm -hmm. and what it was supposed to reinforce. I think there is actually, there is some merit to that, which is unintentional. It's, it's not a surface, but it's an ulterior thing. Do you think the accidental uh, do you think the accidental didactic nature of your 7th and 8th grade experience was formative enough for it to have been worthwhile that the education system accidentally did something they weren't trying to do to you? <laughs> do you think the fact that it still happened was positive on balance? Yeah, no, I do. I, you know, Because that's, that's super, I, I think that will come up more than once here, is the emergent educational experience. Right. Because the structure of education can only be so confined. Yeah, yep. and, it's, and it's internalized as well, I think, it's, absolutely. Yeah, well, I was just, I, just to, to say more to your point about the education system only being able to be so confined and, def <laughs> and defined, for that matter. I, I mean, the way that, that we as learners and as educators interact with those structures is, I think, uh, it, it almost makes making them impossible. <laughs> uh, it kind of brings up an interesting idea of like what the purpose of is for standards in education. Mm -hmm. How it's it's a general goal that you want students to learn in general. The the lessons but surrounding what? these standards can be you know in any way, shape, or form at any time. So there, there's not there's not quite a cookie cutter, an effective, I suppose, cookie cutter uh, method or schedule for educating. There's just a certain set of concepts that you kind of want the students to know by the time that they're done with this class. Well, I think it maybe goes even beyond set of concepts that you want to know. If we're talking if we're talking kind of the highest level of of idealism about education, I think we want to teach our kids how to think. Oh yeah, absolutely. At there's the end of the day, you know. There's um and, I was, I was and looking how over how do you get that done? Yeah. Well, one of the key things, I was looking over one of the curricula for uh, Volusia County Schools mm -hmm. and I was looking over the physics curriculum and a lot of the a lot of the standards were from the physical sciences set of the NGSS. Uh, NGSSS, uh, Next Generation Sunshine State Standards, the Florida Standards. But there was also some drawing from uh, what the nature of science section. Mm -hmm. So it's understanding units and understanding experiment. And that's that's a really big part of it. We're not just trying to teach students biology or chemistry. I'm going to take kind of a science perspective because that's going to be, that's the study that I'm doing right now. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, but we want to teach our students to be scientifically uh, literate 
consumers or yeah. citizens. We don't yeah, just want them to know facts. We want them to know how to consume information yep. in the best way possible. And how to turn that information into actions. Right, and how to decipher good information for bad information. Mm -hmm. Just because someone says it's science doesn't strictly mean yeah. it was science. So the thing is, you're you're talking about, about high-level secondary education right. at this point. Um, I mean, do you think that there's anything, uh, there's any any way that this sort of thing can be incorporated starting earlier? Oh, the nature of science goes way far back. Physical science is a, a 9 through 12 thing for the most part. It, mm -hmm. it shows up in the lower grades as well, but nature of science is at every grade level. Students are understanding the difference between dependent and independent variable. I think we did that in, what, 7th or 8th grade? Um, the we are all gifted students, so we probably got it a little earlier than everybody else did. I don't think we got it a lot earlier than anybody else did. Not a lot, but did. we did. I think, think we, I think we beat them by a couple of grades because we were doing algebra. Even then, like, I remember doing simple algebra in my private school in El Paso in a regular class in third grade. They didn't call it algebra. They just said n plus 1 equals 2. What do you think n might equal? And at the time, I didn't know what that was. I'm like, this is weird. There's letters jumping into my math. <laughs> Get but out of here, letters. To some extent, that's actually what the standards are useful for, is that they do apply a certain amount of rigidity to uh, schools, even regardless of what section you're in. Gifted doesn't strictly enhance the, the not... content being learned. It's more the nature of the the delivery of the content. It's the I was I was just... merely saying as a qualification. I wasn't saying it to discount what you were saying. Although it is no, for sure. it is interesting it, since you are the one Hav in particular cuz Ryan's teaching at the collegiate level. He has as far as I'm aware substantially more leeway over what he teaches given that he practically <laughs> prepares his curriculum. I have right, right. I have no boss. It's, I believe, it's the weirdest I believe thing. he has standards, but that's about, <laughs> about it. I don't know how closely you have to follow them. I know there happen to be standards so that you know yes. where to start your class from. But in Hav, every story I've heard on education in the last five years has been about either how dumb the Common Core is or how many tests we shouldn't be taking. Do you have any faith in the system as it exists, or are you in the overall in the overhaul camp on do you, that? Do you think we can hold off on that question until we've finished defining exactly what our goals are about education? Okay, because sure. I think we need to. I think okay. we. Yeah, need those, those to, are definitely two different subjects. Okay. The, yeah. the nature of standardized testing and then Common Core in general, which I can go into briefly. Is sure, fine. I just feel like we need to have either either agreement or figure out where we disagree on. That topic the nature of education. That sure, topic right. in particular before we can before we can proceed. Does okay. anyone have, I mean, no one has notes in front of them except for me, so this is going to be a lot easier for me than everybody else. Does everyone have a definition of what education is in a general sense, Ryan? Yeah, I tend to, um, I tend to focus more on a knowledge-based approach overall than an evaluation, especially since like, at the collegiate level, I find that students have a, at least a, a grounding in the two things you need to apply knowledge. They have a general... They've been taught a general system of how to think about things, and they have values and opinions that come with that. And so right. when I get students, you know, I teach government, and what you tend to find is how spectacularly ignorant so many people are about <laughs> um, the, 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 the process of government and history and things that go along with that. Right. And so for me, you know, the idea that, you know, it's, it's hard because I have like a research paper component in my class. And... I tell them it's an expository essay. There is to be no nothing of your own opinion in this paper. <laughs> how often does that actually happen? And they don't. Well, they don't know how to do that. Like right. they just you give them eight pages, and all they want to do is just oh, this one is this faff about, <laughs> and they just want to like yeah exactly. They just want to um, uh, opinionate on this topic mm -hmm. because that's the only way that they know how to talk about things politically. And it's like no, you know, in a, in essence, I tell students that it, look, it college. 
isn't about what you learn. It is merely the vehicle in which you expand your overall horizons. And I tend to take this kind of, you know, kitchen sink approach, approach to knowledge itself, which is that you can't, I always do this, like, some point in time, I get on my high horse about education, and I draw a square on the board, and I say, all right, so if this represents all of your knowledge and understanding about the world, and if you have to solve a problem, or if there's a solution to a problem that exists outside of that, what they tell you is that you have to think outside of this box that represents your understanding and your experiences and your knowledge. And the problem is, is that you can't do that. Right? The only way that you could reach a certain solution or a certain point is to expand your box to encapsulate the area in which you need to find solutions. Right. In my own life, I've had to problem solve and I've found solutions in things like evolutionary biology. I've found solutions to you know, how a character reacted in a Tolstoy novel. All of that I used as inspiration and reference to problem solve. And I would not have had access to it had I, had I not taken the time to learn about it. And I find that students are always more concerned about how does what I'm learning fucking relate to exactly what I want from life right at this moment. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, the wrong way. Don't bias information when you take it in. And so I tend to focus more on knowledge and uh, rather than opinions and values and, and evaluating information. Because many by the time I get them, right, mm -hmm. Hob? Right. I, I think what you guys had applied at that earlier level, they tend to be pretty decent at that in general. It just needs some fine-tuning in oh, general. Oh, for certain. Most students that have gotten to the college level have already decided that this education thing and really expanding your knowledge is something that they want to pursue. Similarly, that's that's the idea I, of the, the liberal arts. I'm sorry, but I disagree. You disagree? I do, actually. Yeah. This is, uh, there are terms for this. Um, this is the human capital versus signal theory of education, post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. The human capital model is the optimistic model. It's the one where you go to college because you want to learn how to run a business, or you want to learn about ecology, or you want to learn about physics. And college gives you the knowledge and tools you need to do that. The signal theory is that the reason everybody wants to go to Harvard is that they say they went to Harvard. It's yep. an indication by going to the school that you were good enough to make it into the school. Right, but the way I can yep. poke on this one is that the students who have gone to Harvard, even if they're not actually interested in learning from there, are at least willing to tolerate the Harvard, the, the university level of Harvard. They're actually, and, and I think they're absolutely willing to tolerate it. But I don't think that that toleration leads to actual, uh, that you really necessarily will get the most no, out but of by it, the, or again, even, even the majority out but of it. But by the time that they get to Ryan, they've made the decision that they can at least do it. There are students who cannot. There are students who finish their high school degree and they're like, man, I'm so glad I never have to take a test again. I would like to get into the world and start making money and start making my life. There's, Fucking there's, a. there's no extra level, there's no extra step that I need to take between then and now to get me to the point where I can start learning specifically what I'm going to be doing to make money to start my family, to start my business, to start my vacationing career. They've The, the students who decide to go to college have at some level decided, whether it be for, for social reasons or otherwise, that they need to take this other step. And the step is intensive. I'm pretty sure we all went to college. It was not easy. It is... Most of the time. In general, though, if you're going to complete it, if you're going to go into it, there are going to be points where you're struggled. You're not just doing. You, you have you have to spend moments thinking. You have to spend late nights. It's and that's that's a mentality that some students again yeah, have I, and don't I think, have. I think there are a lot of people in colleges, especially in the United States, who are there because and they kind of float through the experience. They party their way through right, it, and they because don't, they can and. Because they can and because people expect them to. And there's no there's no decision 
at all being made. Right. It's just what people told them to do. The alternative here is, have you talked to a lot of people who have not gone through the college experience? I've talked to a fair few, but not not as many as I have. Right. Certainly. I guess I'm I'm taking it in a perspective of you're taking it as a perspective of this is the general of how college students act. Act. I'm trying to take it mm-hmm. from the perspective of how everyone else acts as well. Do so. do we think that distinction? Do, can we agree that that is a distinction worth making? I think even if we can't necessarily agree on if all college students think it is the diploma or the education. I think there is absolutely a shade of gray where it becomes more important if we're talking about someone who is just high school educated as opposed to also college educated. I think so. I, I think so. I yeah. think the option too, Ryan. Yeah, it's it's strange because overall there's there is um you know we kind of joke at, at when you when you teach college of the idea that you know there's an exchange that happens, right? I go to class, I do what you tell me to do, you give me a degree now. And I do think that there is, you know, because look, the, the graduation rate at my college, at Valencia, hovers around 35%, right? 35% of students that start are the only ones that will actually get a degree, a two-year degree from Valencia. Everyone else will leave or flunk out or not or stop going at some point in time as well. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty shocking in general. I mean, I don't, I don't hate my students yet. Like, there is a point <laughs> where... You know, many of my colleagues have kind of really ended up despising their students. And it's it's not the students' fault necessarily, but there is a lot of odd institutional mechanisms that also reinforce the student idea that this is an exchange of money for degree. Okay. And that's the unfortunate thing, too, is that, you know, they're, they're, the cynical nature of that interaction is what is unfortunate. And you, like I said, it ruins some pretty smart people that I work with that who are who I'm sure came into it like I did, who enjoyed talking about or learning about what they wanted to do. But at the same time... You know, I don't think there's oftentimes, once again, a discrepancy between between a professor's love of doing and talking about what they want to do and the student's enjoyment of actually sitting in the class, right? Like, yeah. you you might think that your desire to teach is not matched by your student's desire to learn. Right, and that sure. is fucking really, really a brick wall when you hit it. What's the split? What do you mean? What's the split in the student group? Who is make, Who is convincing you of one side or the other? Is it 50-50? Do half the students seem like they're there for a degree and half of them seem like they care? By the end of the year, maybe maybe this shifts over time if you're a good or yeah, a bad yeah, yeah, teacher. Yeah, yeah. But like He technically gave us the number 35%. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, a third, you want I know. to start there high yeah, level? Okay, there's, 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 that's, the, that's the upper bound. Huh? Yeah, I'd, right. say there are, I'd say there are thir- a third, and I think a good even... Uh, my experience, it breaks into thirds. A third are there for in, who are interested in, in general. I mean, interested students who are like, you know, I'm here to learn, you know, uh, uh, nursing, and they're like kicking ass on my politics class. Uh, the third are there just to get by or, you know, who this is the expectation, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. And then a third are just there. Because uh, they need to yeah, fulfill the parameters. No, I mean, I don't even think, yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're just there, man. And, you know, they're, you can't get through, the, through to them. They... I mean, I, I mean, I teach politics. I got some interesting shit we is can there, talk about. I mean, is there and not? They're like, no, I don't. You know, I don't have any opinion about I don't, anything. I don't understand the distinction you're making between groups two and three. The people who are there. Oh, people. Okay, these people. Uh, the third who are who are there for the degree might actually be motivated. And in fact, they're the. Ah, they're I the, see. Yeah, they're the worst kind because usually the ones that are really hyper motivated, the A students. They're the most frustrating kind. They're the ones who are a pain in the ass. About yeah, and who don't give a shit about what you're teaching. All they want to do is They're just the ones get the who grade. Are, you have really focused on that exchange yeah, of money, education, yeah. or 
some sort of ed- evaluation degree. Yeah, they're and the they are, A students, and, and they, they the, bought they the worst. completely into the signal theory. Yeah, because they are in almost all cases trying to get into a law school or med school. I, I taught an honors class. I had eleven students, and by the third week, I, did, I had weekly papers. I wrote back comments. I, I mean, I like graded every single paper, you know, line by line. By the third week, I had out of eleven, I had seven. After the midterm, I had four. All because they realized that they. It was going to be difficult for them to get an A. And as soon as they thought it was difficult, or as soon as they felt that they weren't going to get an A, they dropped out. They didn't give a shit. They like they wasn't they weren't there to learn or become better in an intensive sense of what it would take to actually write and, and you know, I ran out like a seminar class. They didn't yeah. want to do that. They wanted the A and they wanted it with as least effort as possible. I can understand that. I mean, I, it's, I don't, you know, that's I don't take it personally, the, but it was just yeah. a little shocking in an honors program because the official word is that it has to inspire critical thinking and scholarship. And I was like, all right, let's do that. Let's do that. But I mean, people are not there for that ultimately. No. I think I think the number of people who subscribe to signal theory is just going up year by year. Is that a and I don't want to accidentally conflate capitalism with culture because that's really really easy. That's too easy. But is a capitalist <laughs> culture, to just directly conflate the two, is that spurning this on? Because the easiest way to confuse the human capital theory into, even if you don't do so intentionally, the easiest way to go from the side where you're learning to the one where you're getting the degree is to just turn everything into mathematics. It's where you determine that this is the best school you can go to not for to learn, because you can't even necessarily, like, how can you know that? You uh-huh. play Moneyball with schools. Yeah. Well, that's okay. And so to I... be fair, kind of what I did mm-hmm. okay. when I went to school. I didn't really care about where I went to college other than the knowledge that I could do so in a debt-free fashion. Yeah, right. And, so the, and the other one was that even though I was mildly inspired, which this may come back up, Mr. Barchfeld, who has now been... Mentioned three times, I believe, on these podcasts. Um, Old man Riley, no idea. Is the reason he was uh, our Hav and I, and possibly and mine. Andy's yep. uh, physics teacher, highly inspiring teacher, um, is the reason I went into physics initially. But I went into, Mitchell also agrees. Um, he's the reason I went into physics initially, but I went to the University he's of Florida. He's also the reason I left. <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite, but um, uh, he's. Um, but I went to the University of Florida with a hedge because the school is large enough that I knew if I needed to switch majors, which was prescient, <laughs> there would be there would be a large enough institution somewhere else when I figured out what that thing was that I could go there. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I did like learning. It's part of the reason I dropped out of physics because at some point you hit a wall where the learning stuff stops happening. That's what Mr. Barchfeld was very good at, was making it feel like you were discovering things. And many professors in the physics departments at the University of Florida, I'm sorry to say, do not inspire them. Are, they are a smart bunch of guys, and yes. that is what I can say about it. <laughs> when, when your students start deciding that remembering is better than understanding, Either your teaching is not very effective or the student is not fit to learn the rest of the subject. That's exactly what I love about psychology, is the psychology can be, you can go the memorization route, but if you choose to follow the constellation of the ideas in psychology, you can just, that the box that Ryan was talking about, Mm -hmm. you can just, that just grows and grows and grows as far as you want it to, which is very satisfying. We'd asked at one point uh, about the conflation of, of capitalism and the valuation of a degree. Yeah. That was where we were going with this. Turning originally. it into money. Yeah, and, and so, okay. 
I don't know that it is necessarily a bad thing for the following reason, which is that in our society, in order to get any sort of reasonably well-paying job, you are expected to have a college degree. Even oh, sure. if Even if you do not care at all about learning, even if the position that you are applying for has absolutely nothing to do with learning. Well, and that's, or that's you where have, the... you need no form of specialized knowledge to do it. You do not have to have an expanded mind to do it. You are still expected to have a college degree because what else do they use to discriminate between applicants? Yeah, well, and, and that is a terrible thing. That's a and that's that's <laughs> that where is... I was trying not to conflate capitalism and culture is that the American cutthroat nature of the job market sort of uh, enforces I th- I signal think, theory. I think it's I think it's unavoidable and, to be honest with you. And that, I don't think it's possible to not look at the job market when you are thinking about that. And if college is something that is necessary to get a job, a lot of people are going to look and they're going to say, "Shoot, man, I can I can deal with that for a few years in order to in order to get a higher paying job." And And the but the question and is so colleges then, are flooded with these kinds of people. But is that fine? Is that, is that an indication? No, I think, I sorry, I that may that's have, okay. I may have misspoken. Uh, I think I said it was okay. What I meant was it's rational. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm broaching the question in a, as honestly as I can. Uh-huh. Is there, as a psychology major that does senior level IT work for a living, <laughs> it is hard for me to defend the idea that higher level education is necessary to create a well-rounded citizen. I have to, it is my directive as who I am to prove that that's not true, which is perverse, (laughs) I understand, but I feel it's possible. And I just, it's what makes this kind of a weird subject for me is the number of people who learn on the job. I did not learn to be motivated in just a self-directed way until I was completely out of school. I didn't care. It wasn't that I just completely did not care about school. There were teachers that inspired me. There were th- there were even just assignments that were extremely interesting, and I did the, I went the extra but mile. And there were assignments that you literally couldn't do. Sure. And then there were assignments that you literally couldn't do, and the teacher assigned them two more times because he wanted you to practice them anyway. It's <sighs> there is there is this chasm here Assessment. where in specific in specific fields it matters. But Ryan's class almost provides a weird counterexample to this where you don't, and this, this may be the saving grace, ironically, despite the way that we treat the university system of specialization. Classes like Ryan's are the ones that you don't think you need, yes. that expand yeah. the box yeah. that you're supposed to take in university classes. And it makes it seem like the foundational side of university is almost more important than the stuff you get to when you actually know what you want to do. That's, I mean, that's a different class of education. I think there are. And, do and we want to distinguish it that way? I think uh, we, we should. We do. Sh- I guess I, we I should nail think down. That we should the, because the there are many, thing. many phases and purposes to education, and I think one of them is certainly to provide people with technical knowledge so that they can do certain things. That is necessary, and it's. It, I, I mean, it, physics would be impossible without that kind of education. Engineering would be impossible without that kind of education. I'm, I'm just curious if that needs to be taught in a school. 
it depends what kind of school do you it's, do you mean? Could you be could you just make it more technical when it starts to matter? When it starts to get more advanced, should you just have a school where you do that? Should should we bring technical schools back? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. If you ask Mike Rowe, absolutely. Consensus. All right, that's the solution. Well, especially okay, so burn so them down. I wasn't even necessarily talking about exclusively technical schools, though I think that they're a great idea. Um just certain things in higher education in general, there is so much specialized knowledge that you need that you have to go through a phase in your education where you just do that. Well, and you, but just, that's, you just gotta do it at some point. But that's what's perverse about it is I did that at my job, but I didn't go to a school to do it. I was basically under an apprenticeship from other people who were in effect my professors, but it was not under the guise of being education. That was just how I learned to do the job. So I think what I think trying to say is that there are some jobs and some career paths that that facilitate that, where that is a possibility. But there are others where you literally just need to grind out the knowledge because nobody has the time to explain this foundation level information because we're already going on to application of the foundation level information. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the reality, I think. I don't know if that's the ideal. I think, I mean, I think one-on-one -on -one teaching is probably the ideal. Like you, Unrealistic you just, too, but let's continue. Oh, I, I, <laughs> exceedingly unrealistic. I think the ideal is that you get a mentor that, that teaches you all of this stuff and walks you through it and understands what you need in order to learn, but that's... That's bullshit. Let's be honest. That's never, ever going to happen. It's been a long reality. time since uh, Socrates and Plato. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I heard technology do? is oh. going to fix all that. I... Yeah, Pav, what's I your opinion of I heard I was. I heard I was going to be in a flying car by the year 2010. Yeah, I've, I've got about a week and a half for my hoverboard, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> I think education... I'm sorry, I think technology has a lot of place in education in a lot of ways in, in motivating it forward, especially in... Again, I'm going to use this term a lot, but developing scientifically literate students and giving them experience in how to interact with certain technology and how to react to the technology is very important because we don't want students simply say, listening to something and assuming that it's true. We want them to think critically about, mm -hmm. okay, just because there was tests that I haven't seen the research on, they didn't cite anybody, and I don't know how much, how many times it's been reproduced, have said something is true, maybe I should kind of explore that myself so I can use your the information you're giving me as a starting point and then hopefully use the other information that I have, the, the research that I can do myself to, to better learn whatever this product or information is. I feel like they do that, but they do it improperly. Yes. I had a lot of lab classes that are theoretically about reproducing those experiments, except that I knew what I was supposed to be getting out of them. Yep. And I think that completely corrupts the point of those labs. Yep. There is, there is a right result. Yeah. yeah. Well, because <laughs> I, you know, I, I teach politics and there's always, you know, the, the danger. I've, I, I don't, you can't be neutral. I mean, if we're talking, like Howard Zinn, you know, is, he says you can't be neutral in the classroom. And I agree to that to a certain extent. So, but what I, you know, I, I try to have my, what we call value discovery in general with politics. You know, I have assignments where students, you know, we, we ask them, where, you know, where, what are your values? Where do they come from? How do we look at them and understand them? And, and you know, we, we play those kinds of games throughout the course of a semester where, you know, they go through this process of discovering what they think about politics and thinking about where that came from. But then you also try to so give them certain information. Do a little bit of philosophy with them. Yeah, exactly. And, we, and then we look for, like, you know, hard instances. So, for example, when we are comparing the relationship between state governments and the federal government, 
you know, we look at the historical, rep, you know, example, which is, you know, state governments being very, very independent of the federal government and it being relatively weak. And we get a lot of, you know, diversity in the states. And that's some people think that's a very good thing. Uh, but it isn't a very good thing if you happen to be a black person in the southern states and the turn of the cent uh, turn of the 20th century. That's Jim Crow South you're living in. And so or now for the most part. Yeah. And what, so, <laughs> you know, what we, what we see is, is that, you know, well, OK, if we if because many students like this idea of states rights, independence, you know, laboratories of democracy. And I say, well, okay, well, how do we reconcile, you know, these areas of, you know, of looking at states' rights, but then seeing how Thomas Jefferson's argument about it being the protectorate of democracy and the wheelhouse for maintaining liberty, how do we square that circle with the experience of Jim Crow? And I don't want to say, and what the point is, is and I give counterexamples to this as well, where I don't want students thinking dogmatically about the relationship between state and federal government. And in essence, what I ask them to do is to really look at any given issue and reason your way to one argument or the other, saying that we should have a more state-based approach or, more, or, or a federalized approach. And I want them to kind of get to that point on their own. I don't care what their answer is, but you have to reason your way one way or the other th to mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we give examples of this. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm not neutral to an it by any stretch of the imagination, but I definitely try to pull my own views out of it and just give them problems or challenges where they have to reconcile these two different ideas and to you know apply knowledge and their values and to have some sort of output from that as well. And that's mm -hmm. you know that's how I try to approach it too. And that's the you know wishy-washy government bullshit stuff. You know, like it's not like an actual hard scientific problem-solving kind of mechanism or a scientific mechanism in problem-solving. And or, if it is, there are too many variables for you to work on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just always always feel good whenever, you know, we end up we end talking about a, a, a subject and I'm like, are we more confused than when we started? And I always I feel I've done, yeah, I usually feel I've done a good day in that class. You <laughs> yeah. know, I'm like, all right, good. I feel we've, we've done all right. I think that can be paralleled in the sciences, although it tends to be a little more concrete. Now, how much value judgment is in sciences? Depends on the science. Too much. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, because I mean, technically, I'm in political science. I mean, that's, you know, but it's not, yeah, it's not. Uh, if you're doing research, if you're gathering information, if you're asking questions, you're doing science. Excellent. Yes and no. I will, I will say, <laughs> Excellent. I will right. say, there <laughs> a is. Finger up. That's a finger. There is a significant amount of personal bias that goes into the direction behind science. Yes. There is a lot of. Um, this is the way I think it is, and I'm in charge, and that's what we're going to look at. There is a serious, there's a serious quandary um, in the way that science moves itself forward. We have any, we have X number of data sets that tell us X number of things at any given time, but those are all built into paradigms. This is an idea that is. Um, I've talked with Thomas, who will probably be on this podcast since he's probably the reason this podcast even exists. It's kind of weird he hasn't been on it yet. Um, is that liberal science is the most democratic form that discovery can take because I can quote Einstein on this one. Someone told him that a hundred, a hundred lab tests disproved one of his theories. And his response was, it only took one because all it takes in science with one sufficiently credible source you can overturn something. That is the bottom upside of science. The top downside of science is knowing what to go for. Jonathan Rausch. I didn't actually read the name. I just saw the cover and knew his name. That was really <laughs> stupid. Uh, that's a great book, by the way. Kindly Inquisitors by Jonathan Rausch is basically a. It is a hard look at what makes liberal democracy. 
the right it's 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 the justification for the Western value system that I think we probably ought to use, not necessarily as a Bible, since he would absolutely be opposed to that, but it's, it does a very good job defending the idea that everyone sort of has an opinion that doesn't need to be valued. It's a beautiful idea within that. But it's the, it's the fact that you can't take the top down out of the bottom up approach. It would be really great if science could actually be done in a fully democratic fashion, but it has to lead somewhere. You have to know what you are trying to get at, and that ties directly. Direct, question, of course. But the, and but that's exactly you have to phrase the question, and that ties back directly into education, because if to bring to Andy's point about about not necessarily being able to structure education because you can't know where it's going to go. Any particular person, we're all snowflakes after all. Right. Sir Ken Robinson has plenty of quotes on that. Um, we can't know exactly where anybody's going to go. And yet, you have to have a plan, because you have to have schools. Unless we're going to argue that we shouldn't have schools, I think that's a little too radical at this point. Yeah, that doesn't I seem think like we, an argument worth making. The kids are going to be there for eight hours a day, and we have to do something with them. And we cannot just let them screw around. That that will probably not work. It works for some people. Some Montessori people. school is a thing. Not a whole lot, though. Yep. Does anyone have any idea what those kids should be doing from 8 to whenever the hell they get out. About 18. All right. Oh, you mean the time or the age? No, that's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> either, either way. Does anyone feel like they have... Does, does anyone feel like they have a pattern that enough kids follow that it makes sense to just follow that for everyone? Do you think that's actually possible? No, first of all. Um... I, I think that there has to be some level of adaptation at some point. Um, there, I, it, what works for one person really doesn't work for another, and especially because not even at a very low level. I how low would you depends, have to go? Yeah, there is a level at which something works for everyone. I, think. I definitely disagree here. I, I do think that there is a general model that, although not 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 rigid of course for each student but the the purpose of having our students in our classes is, is well, so that, that how we can not rigid that's the question right <laughs> so we can teach them how to like the baseline here is that we want to teach them how to think we want to teach mm -hmm. them how to think about the information that they're going to get when they're adults and we need to teach them about socialization i guess is the best word is is how to how to be functioning members of society socially and intellectually we want them to know how to think we want them to know how to talk Frankly, they're going to be spending their lives with people. Do you think that's the primary purpose of, of primary and secondary education? I think education? it's definitely the bi-purpose, the, the, bi -purpose, the two of them. We need to teach students how to think and mm -hmm. how to think about thinking, and we need to teach students how to talk. That's why kindergarten is so important, because mm -hmm. the students need to know how to, how to take turns and how to, how to share, how to respect others' opinions, and how to, like, be empathetic, I guess is the mm -hmm. best way of putting it, how, mm -hmm. to, how to see what other people are are affecting and how to react accordingly. It's a little more or less difficult for different people. Sure. But they at least need to know the baseline of that. And I think yeah. that's a really big part of the education system. That's why we do group projects ad infinitum. It's not just because this is more than one person can do. It's also because the students need to know how to work together. It's very important. And yet, there are a lot of tests. Tests are not very collaborative. No, tests are a, a fun, <laughs> ironic dynamic where the students are used, <laughs> the success of the students on these tests is used to gauge the effectiveness of the teachers. 
and thus how much funding the school deserves. It's a really... It, on the one hand, it's there's not a lot of ways to do it otherwise without being incredibly subjective. You can't just have someone, a no. professional, walk in every class and say, I think he's doing a good job. Check mark, good. <laughs> Go to the next guy, bad job, average it out. Let's let's say that we have a test system that is not open corrupted. To, yeah, well let's let's suppose even if we had a testing system where they tested the things they were supposed to test. Does it make sense, and you, you seem to have already argued against the idea of having some sort of a subjective opinion about it, is it the teachers need that kind of accountability? Is there, I mean, I guess Ryan is outside of the realm of standardized tests, but I mean, Hav, in your experience apprenticing with teachers and talking to them, is there any metric of tests that is useful to the teachers themselves? Absolutely, not in standardized testing, but in other <laughs> testing. <laughs> Uh, obviously, like the, formative, the, the formal and informal assessments that are done in class, let me, let me give you the fun dynamic. Students spend, let's say, all year testing. When I was at Boone High School, I um, volunteered for, I think, four months. The students were literally testing the day I got there in some capacity. And the last day I was there, there were students doing straggle te straggling testing. They start testing somewhere around February, near the middle of the year. The teacher gets those results the following August. I can't help these students on what they did on their standardized tests. That's a good point. As far as no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it That's is it point. is it is not information that the teacher has access to in any sort of relevant fashion, other than I guess I did a good job this year, you know, retrospectively almost. Here's your so there's fifty dollar bonus. Yeah, there, there's no there's no formative effect of these tests on the students. It's literally just on the teacher's effectiveness as a part of the school and, in turn, how much funding the school deserves. Yeah, you're, you're destroying students to save the good teachers. It's the strangest. <laughs> I mean, I, I taught a dual enrollment class at, at, a, at a high school this past semester, and it was, you know, I couldn't, it, it, a week didn't no go problem. by where I didn't have some students being removed for testing. And I mean, I, how do you how do you gauge a how do you gauge a classroom dynamic in that kind of, uh, uh, where, you know, you're getting 10 to 20% of your class pulled out every week? And you know it's it was it's just insane. Literally, yeah, it was insane. Week. I was I was I was shocked so, at the the inefficiency of the overall system. I'm like, get a test done one day of fucking semester. Like, let's figure this out. It can't be that goddamn hard. Yeah. So, what kind of testing is useful? The testing that the teacher develops for the class that they're in. You think that, testing, that does have to be done on such an individualized level? I think so, yeah. For the teacher to know what the students have done effectively and what they have not done effectively to better inform what future lesson plans are going to be. Yeah, you teach the test. That's, yeah, you yeah. teach your own test. You teach, you, you, you teach, no, you teach material, you test on it, and you use the information from that test to inform the rest of your, your lesson planning. There's, there's plenty of assessment that goes on in every single class period. Literally every lesson plan mm -hmm. has a section on assessment, whether it's not asking the class one at a time, what'd you learn about protons today? They're bigger than electrons, and they said in the nucleus, and I don't remember the rest. That's a great job, Jimmy, you're on track. Like, this is all assessment, this is all part, it doesn't all have to be formal sit down, write in bubbles, write an essay assessment. There's, there's small assessment that I can go in depth on what types of assessments you can give students <laughs> formatively. Yeah, but but also I think too you when I give you know when I do like Gordon Rule classes we have essays that students right, right. have to write I can pinpoint you know a student who's having Gordon Rule class Gordon for Rule those class. outside of Florida oh yeah, Gordon, yeah for, so you have a, a six thousand word writing component in a semester for students and it's supposed to be scholarly level writing that they're supposed to be attempting six thousand words and so you know I do like a thousand two thousand word essays and then two two thousand word essays in general right. so the good thing is is why I wanted to get in here also is that I can tailor certain, you know, gaps or certain deficiencies in students' skills and, you know, adapt some learning or, or focus some individualized attention, even if it's just like, 
10, 15 minutes or so that I could get with a group of them to like go over like with paragraph structure or linking ideas within yeah, absolutely. That's The most effective yeah. thing you can get out of your assessment is you can see 10% of my class doesn't know this. I need to at least go over a review mm -hmm. a little bit for those students. If you see that 90% of your class doesn't understand something in, in writing or in your material, it's probably worth an entire class period to go back over it, right. especially if it's an important subject. The dangerous side of this, which I believe is why this has federal levels of accountability, is that that system sounds like it would work extremely well. That organic <laughs> system would work extraordinarily well if you have a good teacher. Yes. And they gave a shit. Yes. Yeah. I hope that's a part Hopefully of those. Good <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. That gap when you hit when you hit college, man. It's. I mean, I get. I. I. I guess I don't have a boss. But I did get flagged for having too many students not, I mean, I have a bell curve, dis, a relative bell curve distribution, and I'm getting, uh, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I need to reassess how I'm handing out grades overall. And it's really strange because some departments, uh, you know, have, don't have bell curve, you know, it's, it's A's and B's and, you know, whatever left is left over, get, everyone else gets overall. And grade inflation is a very real problem that we face in general. And that's the overall problem too, which is that how do we, you know, what the hell are we assessing if we're actually, you know, going to communicate to someone? Because if someone shouldn't be in college or someone doesn't have the skills requisite to get through the thing, they should not pass. I mean, look, failing college was a formative experience in my educational history, and I will not deny that to any one of my students. I just won't. <laughs> I mean, you need, I, no, I mean, I, I, I bombed out of college and I should, I should not have graduated. I fucking was not interested and would not have benefited from graduating at that time period. And... Some students need to be told that you need to, you are not, this is not for you. And you do, yeah, you do not have the skill sets necessary to achieve this overall. And it, it. That I, runs directly against signal theory though. Yeah. That's and not, not against, but it forces the, and I think this is sort of what have you may about to be. Yeah. This is, that's a very into. difficult thing to say to your students. I, I mean, I, I, I find a very humanist perspective to be the, the way that I look through the mm -hmm. world, but it's very difficult to tell your students you don't have what it takes. Like, it's something that they have to figure out themselves. It's something that you may have to sit them down and say, look, you're not on track to be successful right now. Mm -hmm. You either need to change what you're doing or you need to change how you're doing it. Right. I, I, I can agree with that. I agree with some students. You need to tell them, look, at this rate, it's not going to happen. I, maybe you're a little bit more straightforward with it. You know, skip that at this rate. Yeah, and like, you sit the student and say, say that. son, this is not going to happen. You need to find something else to do. Well, it's, but the grade is the signal for that. I mean, the, the best thing, right. the, the best That's experiences true. I've had have not been with these, you know, really, I mean, I have great experiences with very driven, very talented, very smart students. But I've had students who, you know, were, were, were on track to fail who met with me every week, 30 minutes in class, you know, who were, who were there and who I saw market improvement. Yeah. And it was the idea that I could put in that time. But more importantly, they also took that step to do so. And that's where college, I think, is a little bit different, which is that... Right, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I give students the brush off the first time because I want to see how dedicated they are to go through with this. Because many, many people and students and, and, I mean, people in general, will suck off anything they can from you and try to, you know, usually emotionally manipulate you mm -hmm. into getting a grade. And I'm, I'm like, you know, you're not going to do this to me. You're going to have to demonstrate that you are willing to work to improve. And that's the best experience overall. And right. that's what college says is that I will help you, but you've got to make those initial steps and efforts forward. You've got to meet me 75% of the way Yes, there. exactly. I, I do think, though, this is this is kind of where we're going to differ in experience, is that mm -hmm. students in, in college have the opportunity to leave. Yes, exactly. They have the opportunity to not show up in, in high school and middle school, everything up until you're 18. It's a lot more difficult 
to, you know, it's what truancy is what it's called when you don't go yeah. to school. Like the school, yeah. the government wants you to go so badly. It's a felony yeah. level. That, yeah, it's, yeah. it's criminal not to go to school. Um, so this is this is where the distinction is from what how you interpret education and how I do. So I apologize. If oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, here. and it's. I just wanted to say that I do think that you know. There is a point where the student has to agree. They have to make that decision. I agree to sign with you. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. Okay. Um, no, I was I was just going to say. So on the on the subject of being unable to leave, mm-hmm. or or being having no say in not being able to decide for yourself that education is not for you. Um, in in Germany, essentially, you are way earlier than I I would be comfortable with, but apparently it works out for them. Um, you're tracked essentially mm-hmm. as in one of three schools the highest of which is called gymnasium and it's basically college track high school mm-hmm. so if you want to get into one of the best colleges you better in fourth grade have done well enough to get into gymnasium and, and now of course there is there's mobility between right, right, schools. Right. there's yeah. you're not locked in at all but it's of course easier if you start Naturally. out this way um there's a second one, the name of which, uh, and I can't actually remember the names of the other two. I was, I never got, I, like, I, I, uh... I learned them in four separate years of German and don't remember them. Well, good. So, you've got college <laughs> so level, you have college <laughs> track. What's you have it? something that's, that's a little bit in between, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, uh, you could go to, you could go to a, a less prestigious college. You mm-hmm. could get, you could basically go to college for something that isn't hard science or medicine. Gotcha. Um, those are, those tracks like are close to. Like an MBA or something? Yeah, sort okay, of like good. a business, business degree would be in the middle track. Nice. Um, and then there's the, <laughs> then there's the uh, the lowest tier of school, which is basically a track for technical school exclusive. Vocational. Vocational gotcha, school. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so when you turn 16, you can go to a trade school and mm-hmm. get an apprenticeship, and you can just decide this is really not for me. And even in the years leading up to that, you can you can turn the dial back, essentially, and say, I know I'm going into a trade, and I don't want to do this. Yeah. So, and and I'll pose a question, which is, do we trust kids to make that decision at that age? 100% no. Partially because kids are so directly influenced by what they see usually in the other adults that they spend time with, i.e. their parents that it is difficult to not see the parent, the, the students look at their parents and say, my parents were on this track, I'm going to go to it because it's the only thing I've ever seen. Alternately, or my parents, parents did that, fuck, fuck that track. Yeah. I think exactly. that may even but be either, more likely either way, that's, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, students, students do get, and, and this goes even a little bit a step deeper, just going into social economic status. Some students are just around trade and vocational so long that they're, they're aspiring dreams. Are because they think that this is this is all that they've ever seen anyone do. This is all they think they're capable of. They're like, you know what? I'm going to be a you know manager at a fast food restaurant. The student might be capable of so much more. They might IQ wise or or in any capacity be capable of of being a CEO. But the students have 95 been pigeonholed into seeing this is the way that the world goes. This is good enough for my parents. This is probably going to be good enough for me. I don't think they have the 
motivational maturity or, or really perspective maturity to make that decision in fourth grade. I probably don't think it's they not, have it it's, in eighth okay, grade. Okay, so it's not, I mean, that decision is not made in fourth grade. Right. I will, I will tell you. Like, that, that, but. that I'm going to tile it back and go to technical school is, is a... 15-year-old okay. sort of thing. Of course, 10-year-olds, I think. But There's nobody great. who would argue that a 10-year-old has the emotional maturity to decide, to decide their career. And yet, <laughs> there are a couple of instances where when push comes to shove, that's what it takes. If you are going to... if We're not, we're not talking about the, the instance where someone sets their sights too low and they could have you know aspired to, right. if not goodness, greatness. I'm talking about Roger Federer. He was playing tennis when he was four. Mm-hmm. If he was not playing tennis when he was four, uh, he wouldn't. He he's, was not. He's, he does not become Roger Federer. No, he does not. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, sports is a weird anomalous case where you don't have sixty years to become great at tennis. You have until you're about like twenty-one, and then you get five solid years, mm-hmm. and then you retire. Because um, your knees are bad. Are there professions? that are more school-related, given that Federer, I believe, dropped out of school deliberately to play tennis super pro? 14. Yes. Yeah. Made an executive decision at 14 fucking years old to do that. That's why he's best. <laughs> um, There's a lot of foresight involved in that. And yeah. I don't know if that, again, I'm going to borrow on socioeconomic status. I don't know what Roger Federer's parents were like. I'm sure they were quite but, well off. Yeah, yeah they but were, I'm guessing, they're Swiss. I'm man, guessing they know? were able to, you know, give their, stu- their, their, their son lessons at four years old for tennis until he yeah. turned 14. Well, so and I'm just, I, I'm just curious how fringe a case that is, though. Like, are we actually, in, in doing that, I understand that that level of election, I absolutely agree. I don't think I'm really personally educated myself what I should be doing right now. I'm not entirely confident I should be making those decisions yet. Right. And I'm 26. Yeah, I'm hoping I, I'm I know waiting. what I'm doing. I, I actually have we'll set... see a, if I'm wrong later. <laughs> I've set a deliberate goal and, of and not... And what else can you do? Yeah, really. No, I've, I've set a deliberate goal of 30 to figure that shit out. But it's possible that for TikTok, the for whatever friend. I was doing... TikTok. Yeah. Well, and it I have gets to, here quicker than you that, think. <laughs> Take it from old man Riley over here. That shit, take, that but shit the, catch the, up, catches up but on That's you. absolutely what I'm thinking, is that if, is there, is there something I could want to do outside of sports, outside of really, really specific genres, how wide is the pool of opportunities I have lost in not jumping the gun on this? Or anyone, uh, anyone for that matter. Right, right, right. Uh, I, I do think it is a French case. I, I do think most careers, most professions, you, you do have the opportunity to, to join late, where yeah, that, that brick of experience isn't so important, and that the time that you're spending in class, which... I, good. Sorry, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's but, the, the time that you're spending in class is so detrimental towards the experience that you could be gaining practicing your, your one-handed backhand, apparently. Good gracious. <laughs> just all day long. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can barely do it two-handed, so one hand's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, I, there's just one... Oh, sorry, if you've got I, a thing yeah, to I was, I was just going to say, I think to be the best, the, your, all of our opportunities are long gone. Yeah. Because, you know, like... That I'm okay with. Yeah. That I'm okay and with. And I think, I think you probably have to be. But, right. the, but the second wrench in this first wrench is that is that because... Everyone around this table was in gifted programs. <laughs> we can start late because we're fast learners. Is that true for everybody? I think for most occasions it is, yeah. I, I, think, I, I, I think that the, edu- the time that you spend as a, 
a non-adult, I don't know how else to put it, I don't want to say child because high school students aren't children. As a non-adult, the time that you spend there isn't youth isn't so critical that Young you're adults. going to be unsuccessful at whatever it else it is you could be doing. Andy? Disagree. Okay. So this is, and this is my experience, tutoring um, kids in mathematics and physics mm-hmm. at, at a college level. Uh, and that experience is that they, something went wrong with their mathematics education at a young age and they never caught up. Uh, and that, you know, I, I'm not saying that that can't be corrected along the way. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that once they get there, literally what they would need is to go back to seventh grade and do all of it over again. Right. And so, so to your point, it is not impossible. But the time it would take to correct that sort of, that sort of deficiency is really, really right. This is this is the the difference between how much effort do you want to put into something in terms of changing what yeah. you have now in the if amount you, of time if, that it would take. If you want to put the effort in, I think it is perfectly possible. Right. Well, and I I don't I don't want to be the bad guy here, but like we gotta like make money, you know? Like we we I mean, there's an expediency issue here that goes along with this too. I mean, I've I, I work construction. I was in construction for a while, and you know, when I got out of when I flunked out of college, I went and work worked in construction and. I dream you know, my about fa- that sometimes. What's that? I said I dream about that sometimes. I would say it was reality, baby. I <laughs> <laughs> well, ain't no fucking dream, I'll tell you that much. But, like, my, you know, my dad was a carpenter, and, um, you know, I worked construction for a while. And the thing is, is that there are a lot of people that need to put their 40 in and go home. And vocational school at, at an early age needs to assess some students and say, look, you know, you're not going to be a literature professor. You know, you're not going to be a physicist. You know, there's this, there's a point in time where you need to understand that there can be a fucking good and meaningful living. And I mean, I you know, and there I, is nothing wrong with that no, sort of I, that sort of profession. Well, I took pride, and I, but I think, I think our society thinks there is. Well, no, and that's the thing is that there is there's weird little mechanisms in our society that do that does tell someone this. And you know, I yeah, I saw it working from outside. I work both in union labor and uh, and non-union labor, and. You know, both sets have this kind of core understanding that you know what I do, what I does matter. I, what I am doing matters. You know, I can. Well, I, does matter. Yeah, no, and I, I build homes. I build them safely. <laughs> I, I, there, there is a pride that someone takes in their in their job by building something by by laboring. I mean, when was the last time we did labor for We're a fucking? What's that? I mean, like David, notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah, like labored for a long period of time, and like that is something. Like if you can't work with your mind, you work with your body, and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely, and it's fulfilling. Too. It is. No, I, I, I think it can be. I didn't do it for seven years because it was it was it was horrible. I mean, it was it was an enjoyable job. And some days are shit. Yeah, but, well, it's, I mean, yeah. some days. Yeah. yeah. What I'm right. doing now, I got some shit days too. What are we talking about? Yeah. This so, is literally so, the case of that. We can just plug that edit in basically anywhere. So you there's, too. But there has to be some kind of mechanism in our society that, that does point this out to say that, you know, the re, you know, this is okay to do this. And, you know, they, they that, you know, construction worker doesn't need to read, you know, Goethe. He doesn't need to fucking, you know, understand quantum mechanics he doesn't need to understand these things he really doesn't no and so you know he there is this kind you know but if he wants to fucking pursue that on the outside he has that freedom he has that will he ha- he can have that ability to learn that outside of the confines in which he does his 40 hours in though i think that's a recent phenomenon mm-hmm. because up until maybe five years ago even mm-hmm. there was you you had to buy a textbook 
And how do you even know where to look for a quantum mechanics textbook if you're a construction worker? No, it was, you know, I, there, you, you, I mean, you had like, you know, workers associate, I know, I know a lot, you know, political history. I mean, you had workers oh. associations and, and, comp, and, and, you know, reading groups. People used to, people used to like go to reading groups and things like that. So mm -hmm. there were, you know, ways in the, Some in the community. Some structures We're bringing that back, by the way. Yeah. Good. Oh, really? Okay, cool. So. Book club, not next week, but it's coming. Book club, <laughs> film <laughs> review. Pillow. Actually, probably. What aren't we going to record? Just carry this around <laughs> with us wherever we go now. I, I, I do. Oh, I brought good. it up to Gainesville. <laughs> so I, I, but I do think that, that. When can we make that okay? When, like you said, when do we call that age? And I mean, I think sixteen is a good way. We I, made it unokay. We broke yeah. that. Well, I think I mean, that runs back into the culture question. Yeah, yeah but we, but we also too gifted. Look, students, we agree. That upper middle the, class. We agree that the poor, dumb people should remain in jobs that make sense for them. That narrative disappeared in the nineties. It completely evaporated. Right. We. I mean. It seems almost weird that you're surprised by this, Ryan, because your parents had to have grown up under the influence of this. Yes, and it was, you know, there was, it was, there was... You're not that old. No, no, from them, and two, that, you know, I, I, I grew up in the kind of multicultural, everybody, you know, on the cusp of this. I saw this transition happen, hmm. you know... Over I'm, egalitarianism. Yeah, I, I saw this, I saw this transition happen when I was in school, and it was just an odd, you know, like, seeing how this developed in the overall system was okay, but... Look, I am I, I am positive in the sense that I do think it is important that everyone gets this well-roundedness early on. But, you know, man, like adolescence continues on for all of us. I think a little bit too long, and there has to be a cutoff point when like actual adolescence as a physiological process needs to start, and adulthood needs to onset. And the problem is, is that I went to kids in high school who didn't have that fucking choice to pursue these things into their twenties. I mean, they had kids, they had they had parents die, they had you know, societal issues that it, it had, they had, they, the decisions were made for them. And we leave those students behind when, de when decisions are made for someone in the course of their lives. Again, this is a really interesting uh, example of socioeconomic status affecting the thinking is that most of the people who worry about the under, the, the, the students in the lower SES is the people in the higher SES. They're like, man, how can, how can we get them here? It's, right, it's right. not something that their parents Parent, worry about. teacher organizations. Not because their parents don't want to worry about it, but to some extent, their parents are exhausted. They're physically the the incapable of yeah, it. Yeah, they, they work two jobs and take care of their four kids. Mm -hmm. They don't have time to go to the PTA meeting and bring cookies, you know? They, they get home and they just need to sleep because they need to wake up tomorrow at five to hit their job. And it's, it's such a rough existence. And the students have these people as role models. And as far as hard workers go, there are very few better role models than these parents because they give yeah. everything every day. But it's difficult to... It's invisible. Exactly. It's difficult for your students to understand, you know what, you're, you're capable of more. And it's something that, that I think it's a good thing that we're being conscious about it, that we are worrying about, that it is something that we need to give them the opportunity to do. I think students in higher SESs have the opportunity to decide, okay, I'm going to do this technical school because I'm not set up for schooling. Whereas in lower SESs, like he said, they don't have the decision. When they're done with school, it's like, awesome. The government doesn't need you to be in school anymore. I need you to start making money so you can take care of our family. Because right. mom got in a car accident recently and she can't work and we are now well under the poverty line. Surprise guest, <laughs> Mitchell. I wanted to, uh, to kind of pose a question to Javier based on that, uh, kind of out of thing. Uh, since you're going into grade school teaching, mm -hmm. um, do you think that grade schools in the United States should be longer? Uh, not over the course of the year necessarily, although summer vacation is probably too long as it is. Mm -hmm. um, but Much. a lot of, especially in lower income families, uh, their kids don't really have anywhere to go outside of the 
seven and a half, eight hours that they're in school. Mm -hmm. um, and they might, may not be encouraged to do extracurricular activities like mm -hmm. people in higher income. Well, or they may uh, not have houses. the means to do they that. They may not have the means to get back from home because the buses don't run at that point in time. Right. Would it be better for school to be 10 hours, say, instead of eight hours so that the time for extracurricular activity is built in that way? So I, do, I think students need to have the opportunity to do this. and. Unfortunately, this one's going to go to the very bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, I spoke to a principal recently where students, which is physiological needs, where you need to be able to eat, sleep, and um, drink. But I went to a school recently where the principal Hell told yeah. me there was a Title I school. Title I is, um, is a lot, is I believe a bill in Florida or in the U.S. that mentions that students in lower income need to have the opportunity to to have to have food. So mm -hmm. a Title I school is a school that has, I think it's 90% yeah, or more large, free or reduced lunch. Percentage. The principal told me they had 100% free or reduced lunch and that they're developing a program where they will, because the students will get breakfast and lunch at this school, but after they go home at the end of the day at 3 o'clock, which don't. is far too early for dinner, they might not have food. So they were trying to get programs where the students could stay a little later to have food or they could bring food for the weekend. Like they would fill backpacks discreetly with food so the students would be able to eat. So I do think at least, yes, the students need to have the opportunity to stay a little bit longer so that they can eat and thus be more successful in school because you can't learn if you're hungry. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have been to a class hungry, but it's miserable and some students were well under college age do it roughly every day. I get miserable if I don't eat for like three hours. Yeah, exactly. And some <laughs> students go a little bit longer than that. So yeah. I, I do think it's important to, for students to have this. It's just, it is kind of a question of funding because the students who don't need it would be would love to jump on their bus at three o'clock, go home, and then go to karate after school. But the students who can't do that, I think it's really important that we, we find the funding somehow to get a second round of buses to get these students home so that they can spend more time in a, in a safe environment. Because like we were talking earlier, some students go home and there's nobody there. There's no parents basically in the neighborhood. This is not a safe place for these, you know, eight or even 13-year-olds to be, especially when they get older and they start trying to make adult decisions. We, we don't want to put them in these situations. So I think that's a really astute thing to say, Mitchell, is that these students should have the opportunity to have a longer school day so that they can have a place to eat, a place to be safe, a place where they can develop as human beings and not just immediately be thrust into this real world, which is absolutely merciless to them. In And will continue to be so in perpetuity. Yeah, until we find some way to fix it. And I know that's kind of a magical Christmas land idea, but I, I well, really wish there was some way. This is the ideal think, that we were talking about. Yeah, there and I think, some way I think to find that's this. part of why we're here, is to, to think about what are some concrete ways in which we can make improvements to to the educational structures that we have. And Mark it down, make it a them. bill, I'll absolutely vote for it. I think <laughs> there needs to be a way for these students to spend more time in a safe, constructive environment. Well, and I think that extending that idea or having this more like loosely structured conception of what school could be would like alleviate a lot of the problems of, you know, who are these educators going to be? How are we going to set them up? Because it's weird too, the idea that we talked before that you, you, you assess students to assess teachers. The worse they do, the, the they get their funding cut. It's the weirdest. Yeah, it's, it's the weirdest. That is, that is the most counterintuitive it's thing. An, it's that an I odd cycle. Ever, it's, it's usually when a school fails enough times is that it's, is when they need to start getting a new, it, it kind of like bounces back. Like if a school fails enough times, then the government steps in. They're like, you know, we need to give these students the opportunity to go to a better school. We need to just get better teachers for this school. Which is a market concept, which is where it kind of has a sticking point for me. Um, 
the reason it's okay to defund bad schools and move them to other schools is because there's an assumption that children apply just as well in the homo economicus model as people with actual agency. If you don't attempt to fix the schools where those students are located, they are suddenly having the, the biggest problem that you run into in the same way that their parents are not there. It's not great for kids to be on buses for two hours a day. Right. That to, is, that is definitely to, one of the weaker parts of the charter school. I, you, I'm sure you guys are familiar with No Child Left Behind. It's the 2001, <laughs> I believe, legislation that states that uh, students are entitled to have the opportunity to go to a better performing school if they're in an area where this, the, the, the first school that they have access to is not good enough. And that's where the reset comes from. But you're right. like the, Being on a bus for 30 minutes, especially with students who have been drilled by terrible social To go to a school where the culture almost possibly physically hates you. This is I don't know about hates you. I like to be a little bit more optimistic and say that the students... The parents don't like those kids. Uh, the parents I didn't think I of think... the students. I, I didn't think of the parents. I was thinking of the students. students... I think the parents matter a lot in that Absolutely, equation. you're right. And it, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's yeah. a brutal problem. Like, fixing a bad school is a pain in the ass, but I think... I think the idea that we use a market force model to fix that is completely fucked up. I will defend the market in a lot of avenues, but you need enough agency for it to work. And the kids and teachers and parents who are affected by a system that merely defunds and destroys those schools is not giving... No one in that buyer's market has any real agency. Right. Uh, and I think that that system is completely screwed up. Yeah. If we need a concrete example of how this can be improved, I think that is one of them. Hmm. It's well, also, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. The unfortunate thing, too, is that we experience it at our level <laughs> as well. You know, we get so much federal funding for you know, and state funding per student. And, you know, it's, it's a keep their ass in the seat kind of approach that yeah. we mm -hmm. have. And there's, you know, there's a customer satisfaction element that's coming into how we are taught or, the, the you know, the, uh, the, the official line of how we're supposed to approach students and... You know, to be more centered, student-centered, to make you know, to not have a an assessment that makes them feel bad for doing poorly or anything like that. And I, mm -hmm. I, it's not to say that I'm not insensitive to what it what ha what happens emotionally to a student when they get a poor grade, but it's just overall that you know, there's this like customer service model that it's I have to approach. My not students even with. not even emotional. It and becomes a uh, it becomes a cultural anti-establishment dissociation from mm -hmm. society mm -hmm. when you when you the school starts telling you you're not good enough. You still have the street. You can tell. You can flip the government the bird, and that helps absolutely no one. Mm -hmm. um, especially at a college level, it's kind of ridiculous that, mm -hmm. that 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 takes place. But I think, I mean, I think that is there again because people are forced to go to college mm -hmm. by by the market, essentially mm -hmm. the job market. Yep. Um, and because going to college is a necessity to have a reasonable job in order to promote equity, student loans are cheap, that money goes directly to the colleges, and they want to keep those kids there at all costs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is the rational choice given what the structures are. Mm -hmm. We put it together that way. It's just, and yeah, it's just it's just strange because the, the effects of those structures. Well, no, because you you know you come at it from an idealistic standpoint of you know wanting to enrich someone, and mm -hmm. in, in a truest sense of the word, to enrich them, and you know that you you get the frustration of of students who don't buy, who don't buy that argument. You get the a, a 
you know, a, an administration that is more focused on the bottom line mm -hmm. in the very true sense of what that means. And then, you know, you are kind of hung out there as the kind of mediator between this, between these two agents. Two and like directly conflicting yes, ideas, and basically. And you're like, <laughs> and you're trying to find a balance <laughs> of, you know, you know, once again, you know, nobody really gets into teaching, do, you know, wanting to do something that they don't like to do. I mean, I had an opportunity to become a full-time professor teaching the welcome to college first class, you know, baby's first college class or something right. like that. And I was like, you know, the, my, my, my dean. Oh, you could have made that fun. Uh, you could have done something with that. Yeah, no, I mean, I told, I mean, I barely told the person who advised me on this. I said, look, you know, I would, I wouldn't be able to do, I'd hate my job by the, by the, end of the first semester, if I wasn't able to, to talk about and teach what I really cared about, and I wouldn't be able to do it. And talk about self-deception, I mean, there was no self-deception in that decision. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't a money thing. It was like, I don't want to do this because it's not something that's enjoyable to me. And that's, that's what I find frustrating in general, is that, you know, the passion you bring to your topic in general, you know, there's often, oftentimes a disconnect from both sides of that, of uh, where you find yourself in that dynamic. And that mm. is, it's just, it's just something to consider overall, because it's just, you know, keeping the passion, keeping the enjoyment with that is what is... How can I reach these kids? How yeah. can I reach these kids? Because it is, it is... Yeah, it's, it really <laughs> is a problem. But it's cool, too. I mean, that's the best part is, like, you know, I, you know, I remember what I was like when I was 18 and, and 20 years old. It's not that... It, thank God it wasn't that far away from me. Yeah. Friendly podcast listeners. Like it was yesterday. <laughs> I, think, yeah, it was. I think that's actually a really useful tool for a lot of new teachers is, is remembering what school was like and what the good and the bad was about it and, you know, straying away from the mm -hmm. bad teachers and that those habits and kind of applying the good teacher habits. Well, the one good thing about the kind of, you know, te teaching them like little consumers is that you, you do kind of reach for feedback from them. And that is kind of enjoyable as well when you like can see because it. It's really it's queer now when you like type my name into Google. Like the first thing that comes up is my rate my professor page, mm -hmm. and my favorite quote from like uh, this show called The Thick of It. And he's like, "I hate the internet. It's just a door you open where everyone tells you how shit you are, yes. and it's like really good." <laughs> so like, now when you type my name, and the first thing that comes up are like fucking anonymous reviews of what I do for a living, and that's a little unnerving overall as well. But luckily, Absolutely. I got banging fucking reviews, internet, so I'm good. Uh, luckily, yeah, man. Luckily nice. is a big word here, Ryan. I'm yeah. pretty sure you probably work for it. No, I do. I do. I do like it, and I do care, and I'm. I'm really excited that you're going into it as well, because you know, giving a shit and believing it's important. I mean, it really makes everything easy as well, and like, you know, doing that in any aspect you come into in your life is important. And I mean, it's the one thing I got. It's like, you know, he cares, and I like. I love that. Like, like, and that's right. a po and that's treated as a positive, and that's what's good overall. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing. Knowing the effect that a, I I I, I want to go into teaching because I know how much of an effect a teacher can have on a student, and if I can at least try to be one of those positive influences on a handful of students, we're we're doing a, a good job towards moving this education system in the mm -hmm. right direction. Are you going to turn I, a bunch of students into linguistics majors? Huh? I hope not. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked Heidi Coles, but man, linguistics was a strange choice. Well, okay. my intro to Lin teacher. Can we take a break? Yeah, absolutely. With the foundations laid down, education does sound like a pretty tough nut to crack. Can four kids standing around a foam table resolve the woes of a 300 million person nation? We use the softest economics available to find out the answer in part two. Stay tuned.